Good morning. As Chris said, my name is Christine Nicano, and I want to welcome you again to Mercer Island Covenant Church. Today we're going to be reading one verse, and it'll be um, from the letter to the Romans, chapter 5. And so if you'd like to follow along, feel free to grab your Bibles now or Bible apps, or you can follow along on the screen. The law came in so that the transgression would increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning once again. One verse. Are you getting excited about that? We are continuing our series that we are calling Embodying the Gospel. And it really is a series about how to be a healthy church community, which consists of healthy individuals. We've talked about living. We talked about giving, discipleship, about gossip, about how to be present in each other's lives. Last week, we had a good time, I thought, talking about change Uh, and sabotage. And today, we're going to talk about yet another uh, favorite topic of mine, abandonment. Uh, I chose this topic actually back in October, uh, actually back in August, excuse me, August, when I was candidating uh, for the senior pastor position of this church. And um, so I want us to kind of circle back to it a little bit, and uh, take a slightly different angle at it. The basic uh, message that I want to share with you today is that God's tendency is to stay. And the key word there is stay. That God will stay with you. He won't leave. And that the human tendency is to leave that we tend towards leaving. And this central idea really highlights a key difference between God and us human beings. That God is not like us. Often when we are thinking about God, we will place on God our tendency, because that's our reference point. It's how we operate. It's our nature. And we wrongly assume that God is similar. But Scripture teaches us that God is utterly holy, that He's totally different and set apart compared to us. Okay? So I just actually only have one point today because we have one verse. And uh, let's begin with this idea of God versus humans. Here, verse 20 begins with, the law came in so that the transgression would increase. Now, because of our tendency to leave, and because God's tendency is to stay, and this verse is mostly about God, we're going to misunderstand, we're going to tend to misunderstand this verse. So we say, so that sin would increase? Why would we want transgression or sin to increase? Right? Why would God do that? I thought the law was good. Why does God call the law good if all that does is increase 
our transgression or our sin, right? So we'll start with the question, why do you and I, why do human beings increase, quote-unquote, increase sin? Have you ever increased sin? What does that mean to increase sin via the law? Well, I had to think for a really long and hard time to understand this verse. Now, I, you know, this is a rare occurrence, but I thought about my relationship with Susie. <clears throat> and I was thinking back to these talks that Susie and I would have during years one to ten. And uh, fortunately, these talks have dropped off quite a bit since year 11 and, uh, to 16. But years 1 through 10, we would regularly, and if I had to guess, I would bet the first five years, it might have been as frequent as once a week. But then I think it averaged out to about once a month in the middle years, and then uh, to maybe once a quarter uh, during the last couple of years of the first decade of our marriage. And these talks, okay, if I can summarize it for you, were basically long looks into Susie's mistakes, <laughs> tendencies, issues, the baggage, the generational sin that she was, by choice, in my opinion, perpetuating. <laughs> and by the end of uh, three, and these talks would go into the night, three or four hours long, and by the end of these talks, she would feel terrible. She would feel undeserving, and uh, she would feel no hope for herself whatsoever. And I would be sort of in this emotional soup with her, but there was a part of me that felt kind of good about it. And it's not that it was just one way. It's not just that I would, you know... um, have these talks with her. She would also have these talks with me. And so I, I, this was actually a fun exercise. Basically, what I would do is I would take one thing that I was upset about and say it 50 different ways. Different ways. So it keeps it interesting. Susie would take one thing that she's upset with me about and repeat it the same way 50 times. And uh, that was pretty reflective of our personality. But what were these talks about? How can these talks possibly last three to four hours long? What was I doing? I was bringing in the law. You should have done this. Why did you do that? When you did that. When you don't do this. You know, I think your mom is like this. I think I see this in your dad too. Oh, your brother, he's not too far from... What does this do? This is the law, right? The law came in so that sin would increase. And so Susie felt, let's say she would rate herself uh, eight, right? Before the talk. And then after the talk, because sin has increased, her self-evaluation is down to like a one or a zero by the end of one of our talks, Right? Have you ever increased sin so that for the purpose of, I mean, have you ever brought in the law for the purpose of increasing sin? I can't be the only one in the room. Humans 
human beings increase sin as a way to set up for abandonment. Human beings increase sin as a way to increase distance between me and the other person. We increase sin as a way to create safety for ourselves. Human beings increase sin because we're human beings. Now, why does God increase sin? Why would somebody with a different nature than ours, somebody who doesn't have our fears or our insecurities, our fallibility, why would uh, somebody like God, who is all loving and who is perfect and who has no uh, no need. Why would he increase sin? So you got to start thinking about this. Let's, let's ask another question. How would human beings write this verse, rewrite this verse? And I actually rewrote the verse. Here we go. The law came in so that the transgression would increase. And where sin, I noticed I took out the word but because there's no but here. It's just all negative sliding down this hill, hill here. The law came in so that the sin would increase. And where sin increased, abuse abounded all the more. Where sin increased, condemnation abounded all the more. Where sin increased, manipulation abounded all the more. Fear abounded all the more. Control abounded all the more. Arrogance, legalism, caution, feelings of worthlessness abounded all the more. Self-hatred abounded all the more. Can you rewrite this verse? The law came in. You brought the law in so that the transgression would increase and where sin increased, Blank abounded all the more. I'll tell you what human nature could not write if it had a million years to write this verse. They could not write, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. That's not in our nature. That's not how our brains work. In fact, I think I feel a moral obligation for grace not to abound where sin is increasing. I feel morally obligated to make sure the sin is diminishing by my laying down of some kind of law or judgment or abandonment. I have to do something to stop the sin from happening. And I would think grace is the last thing that would abound because if grace abounds, then sin's going to abound all the more. And then it's going to need more grace. And then sin's going to increase again. I give them a hand, they're going to take a whole arm. Right? Who is going to teach this lawbreaker a lesson? Who's going to be a responsible citizen and parent here? We have to do this. We can't possibly... Do grace, But here God says, grace abounded all the more. God, through the law, he increases sin 
for the purpose of shedding more light on us, on the human condition, on this world, as a way to actually help us to do surgery, to increase proximity to us, because he knows the best solution to this problem is himself. Right? He's not going to increase distance. If he left us, that wouldn't be helpful. So he increases his own risk. He ultimately pays for our healing. He is so very, very different. We feel this moral imperative to do everything but grace. And God says, my whole strategy is grace. All I have in response is grace. I will drown you with my grace. I will save you with my grace. I will nip sin in the bud with my grace. You search, you dig to the depths of God's strategy, and all he has for us is grace. I've been doing some reflecting this week about my own nature as it relates to this verse, and I realize that I am far more gracious towards the younger versions of my kids than I am with their older versions. And uh, I saw this highlighted actually pretty vividly for me because we've been going through all of our older videos. Um, we set up a little computer station in the corner of our living room, and so the kids have been on this. Uh, and they, they just absolutely love watching uh, videos of themselves. Uh, I, of course, have zero videos of myself because we didn't have video equipment back then. Um, and I noticed there are several uh, videos where the kids are just being awful. They are not cooperating. They're throwing food. They're hurting each other. And I noticed, I'm not, I don't think it's because I was on camera, but I was really absorbent and patient and kind. And I just don't experience or perceive myself that way these days. Um, so my, my sense of graciousness has really been diminishing as the kids have been getting older. That was an interesting um, uh, note to self. So I'll give you one example of this. Um, speaking of abandonment, Susie's gone again <coughs> at the women's retreat. And uh, so I'm taking the kids to piano lesson yesterday, right? And they have piano lesson from 4 to 5.30. They each get 30 minutes, the older three. And... Uh, I knew that, I, knew, I know what happens when the kids have piano lesson. They have all this practice to get in. They have to get their books ready. They have to do their assignments. And so in the morning, during breakfast, I warned them that we have piano lessons today. I said, make sure today all your work gets done. That's the law, right? And then during the middle of the day, right, when we're having lunch, I told them again, kids, remember today at 4 we have piano lessons. Make sure you get all your work done. And then an hour before we had to leave, I told them, I said, make sure your bag is packed and everything is ready to go. We have piano in an hour. And then 
15 minutes before we had to leave. I'm really laying down the law here, right? Remember, we're leaving for piano lessons in 15 minutes. I want you to have your jackets and shoes on before we have to leave. Okay? Okay, Dad. We got this, Dad. Be quiet, Dad. Right? And then, right when we have to leave, put your shoes on. Put your jackets on. Did you pack your bags? No, they're all rushing around to do that. We're out the door, and one of the kids says, Dad, I was supposed to photocopy one of these you know, music things, and I had to mark it up. Did you do it? No. Oh! Right? Okay, get my shoes off. Hold on, which page is it? Open the bag. We go to the page. Okay, I'm going to photocopy this right now. Why don't you go second instead of first? Because she had called first already. But she's going to go second. And so you can do your assignment while you're waiting. Okay, good idea, Dad. Okay, we got this. Photocopy it. Get it done. Out the door. Car is unlocked. Kids are piling in. Oh, I think I have to do that too. (laughs) Which song is it? I don't remember. Which song did you practice this week? Oh, this one. Okay, okay, we got this. Okay, everything is true in this story except my reaction. (laughs) I lost it. I was not kind. I was not cooperative. I was not in problem-solving mode. I did not ask Which song is it? I did not ask. Which song then did you practice if you can't remember which song it is? I didn't go down that trail. You guys, all day I've been reminding you. All day. All day. You know that you have piano lessons. And even if you didn't remember, I reminded you a million times. 15 minutes before we got in the car, I told you. To get ready. And I went off like that. I was in the car, sitting in the driver's seat, looking back, yelling my head off at my kids. Reminding them of the law. And I kept highlighting what I had said, what they knew, what they were supposed to know. What, how this should have gone down but how it actually ended up going down and what that did to me and how inconsiderate they were. There's a lot of smiles and nods here in this room. (laughs) I increased sin, didn't I? By increasing the law. And I did it, why? Why did I do that? That's the question that we all have to answer for ourselves. Why is this our tendency? Why is it just impossible for me to be gracious at that moment? Where is the grace? I can't find it. It's not there. It's not in my heart. It's not in my head. And even as the words, the condemning, mean, angry 
Words are coming out of my mouth. I can't stop. I can't pull it back in. It's, it's coming out. It's got to come out. Somehow this has to happen. The, the universe will not continue spinning until this speech is made. It's the imperative. And God says, grace abounds where sin abounds. And meditating on this story, I realized the main reason this had to happen, this speech had to be made, is because I am a weak person. It's a reflection not of my strength, but of my weakness, of my fears and anxieties and insecurities. And God doesn't have any of these things. He is all-powerful. And whereas I cannot change my kids, God actually can. He made them in his own image. And his intent is to restore them fully to this image in which they are created. And he is going to do it. He's not for a moment afraid he's not able to. He's not having second thoughts about dying for them. He has decided he's going to give his whole self to them. He's going to do whatever it takes to love on my kids. He is powerful. Therefore, he can afford to be gracious. In other words, he has grace. Therefore, he can be gracious. I am weak. I don't have grace. I don't know how to be gracious. God's strategy is to always problem solve. He's always working towards help and change. And the main vehicle through which we are going to be changed, scriptures tell us, is grace. It is the kindness of God which turns us to repentance. And it is those who are not condemned much, but those who are forgiven much, who love much, and so acceptance and grace becomes, become the door through which transformation happens. Now, what I want to do is I want to uh, end the sermon here. And uh, I want to end with a few application points. Okay? And uh, some of these application points will apply uh, to our church uh, as we're going through this season. Some of it will apply to us personally, but I think most of it will apply to all of us individually and corporately. Now, let me start with one that I have found to be a, uh, a way of abandoning for myself. Okay, I'm, a, I'm an abandoner. I fear abandonment. And uh, because of that, I'm smart. And so I preemptively abandon things. And so here's one way that I have found that I preemptively abandon. I rush through things instead of taking my time and doing them well. Now ask, why would this be a form of preemptive abandonment? Because if I rush through things, that means if and when that thing fails, I can look back and say, oh, you know what? I really rushed, kind of rushed through it. I didn't really do my best. I didn't take my time, right? And so this has been a good reminder for me. Stop rushing, Peter. Stop rushing through the various changes in our church. 
Stop assuming you already know and have answers to all of the problems in this church. Right? And so I'm going to uh, do my best rather than uh, do my fastest. And often those two things are not the same. Okay? A second way that I preemptively abandon is I get upset rather than solve the problem. And I think this is one that applies both individually and corporately. I, uh, you know, I was just away at a pastor's retreat uh, Monday through Thursday. I was in beautiful St. George, Utah, uh, Mount Zion National Park. And uh, it was really fun getting together with these pastors and complaining about each of our churches. Sorry. <laughs> but at the end of the day, I want to solve the problem. I don't want to just be upset. Sometimes it's easier to just be upset because then I get to play the victim card. Do you know that we have a tendency, part of the human tendency is to oscillate back and forth between the victim card and the hero card? We're always either the victim or the hero. It's either their fault and I was under it or I'm the hero, I saved the day. Everybody else did it, not me. I'm the hero here. And this is what we do. We oscillate back and forth. But instead, cut through all of it and just solve the problem. And I have found that when I can do that, people respond around me, whether it's family or friends or church. I don't have to play the blame game, but I need to because I don't want it to be my fault. But if I can just forget about fault as a category and just focus on solving the problem, everybody seems to be happier. Anxiety just goes down. And there's somehow more oxygen in the room and love fills, comes in and there's hope for the future and hope rises. And so this is a really good practical application. One of the key ways to not abandon each other is to stop playing the victim or hero card, but focus on solving the problem. Don't play the blame game. Okay? Third application is people can literally leave. There are a few people that I think have already left our church, and um, I'm not sure of all the real reasons why. I think ultimately that's, you know, hidden in the deep recesses of our hearts. I think decisions like that are very complex. And often the story that gets told is not the actual or whole story. I can certainly say that about all the leavings I have done. Certain stories I want to stick to, but that doesn't mean it's true just because I stick to it. And so I want to ask you to not leave. And I'm not leaving, and I hope you don't either. It's been a great first six months. It's been really good for me and my family. There's also been some hard moments. But will you stay and see through it? Fourth application point. And this is, a, this is kind of an interesting one. 
and I've been hearing this out of my own mouth and out of your mouths as well, when we are choosing to speak to our situation, um, I hear myself start with disclaimers and qualifiers. I'm new here, but what is that? That's a, I'm just I'm giving myself an excuse already, right? I'm getting ready to leave. Now, what I hear often from you is, oh, I haven't been here very long either. Or one that I hear a lot is, I'm old, but here's the thing about people who self-identify as old and others who don't. Like me, when I'm interacting with you, I'm never sitting there thinking, gosh, this person is old. I'm just having a conversation. I'm asking questions. I'm answering questions. And then you will begin with, oh, but I'm just old. And then, and then I'm, I'm like, oh, I guess, yeah, well, you are older than me. You're right. But it doesn't disqualify what you think or what you say. It may even qualify it more. And so I want to just ask us as a church to just drop these disclaimers and qualifiers. I think these are all part of our tendency to abandon. And we're protecting ourselves and trying to overprotect each other. And ultimately, it's not helpful. Can we just be ourselves? Can we just have angel eyes towards each other? You know what angel eyes are? The way angels would see us? We're just, I'm just Peter. You're just you. And just speak. And if you're wrong, you're wrong. It's not because you're young or new or old. You're just wrong because that's what you are sometimes. Yes? Are we just wrong sometimes? Yeah, it's okay. We're not going to leave each other because of it. All right. Last one, fifth one, and I saved the um, stickiest one for last. Withdrawal of finances. This is how a lot of uh, churchgoers communicate is by withdrawing their financial support from the institution that they are a member of. Seriously, guys, not cool. Not cool. I was having this conversation with our um, new superintendent for our conference, for our denomination. And I know, I know some of the inner workings of this conference and the denomination just from having worked in the denomination and then working on financial issues about this conference with the, with the, as part of my role in the denomination. And I, just, I was telling him, I said, you know, I really don't feel like tithing our church budget to you guys. I don't want to. It's just such a mess. And he looked at me and he said, Peter, you have access to me and you would do that? You can talk to me if you're upset about something. I said, you're right. I'm so sorry. And if, if we withdrew our finances every time the conference or the denomination is trying to improve or going through a, a rough season, we would just die at the first hill. You realize that? We have to give each other the luxury of time and process. If every time Peter's son gave a bad sermon or our church made a bad decision, you withdrew your finances, we would never make it through the first hill. Would you be gracious and give and give all the more if we make a mistake, if you see that we're hitting a hill, 
Say, I will give even more because they probably need even more resources to, to get themselves out of this one. I think that's partly how God's heart is. Now, there's a conflict, a clear conflict of interest between the employee saying that, the leader saying that. But I think you all know what I mean. God's tendency is to stay. God's strategy is grace. And he paid for it at the price of his own life. Let's pray. God, we realize that at this very moment, this second right now, no matter what our personal situation is, no matter the state of our heart, you are with us. You have not abandoned us. You have not left us alone to our own devices. But you always are open and available and waiting for us. You are working with us to solve problems. To save us. And and we forget that and we fear that's not true. But it is. So we remember that this morning. And we entrust ourselves once again into your good hands. Lord, have mercy on us. We love you, Lord, because you first and still love us. In Jesus' name we pray.